First Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels above words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through these cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We're going to ask our children second grade and under, those that want to go to children's church, to walk up here and line up at the door. And our, uh, appreciate our teachers this morning. <clears throat> I was um, asking a couple folks when we were welcoming visitors uh, if they knew the song my god uh, my a, For a mighty fortress is our god and um and several folks said no they had never heard that song or sang it before and so uh i understand sometimes um songs we sing are new to you so what i would encourage you to do is go to our website and there's a, a link there for worship and uh, you can listen to the songs that we that we sing so all the songs that we sing are there and you just kind of have a running play at your home i'm not i'm not i'm not musically inclined and so i can't hear a song once and say oh, do you like do you like that song i'm like i don't know i'm kind of like you greg i gotta listen to it four or five times like, yeah i think i like that song um but if you uh if you don't know the music i encourage you to do that um and i hate we sing that song that reformation song that's one of my favorite songs and i'm on the back side of a of a cold mckenzie and i are on the back side of this cold and so i don't have a lot of voice and so i've got a cough drop in each jaw but I sang that song. I was trying to sing just a little bit of each song, you know. I just I had to sing that song. So I appreciate Jenny and the praise team, all that they do and singing these wonderful true songs. One of the things you can do with your kids uh, is, is print out the lyrics to some of these songs because the songs that we sing are, are um, biblical and they're really rich. And it, some of the songs that we sing, uh, Mighty Fortunes Are God, of course, I need thee every hour. That's just a prayer to the Lord, right? That's a simple. Before the throne of God above, and this Reformation song, they're so rich. Print those lyrics out or, you know, put them up in your phone and talk about them with your kids. Just go verse by verse and just talk through those songs with your kids and, and the truths there in the music. And so the next time we sing it, your kids will be like, oh, yeah, we talked about this at dinner the other night. And, 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 and it becomes more of a, you know, you can express yourself, you can grab a hold of it and sing it to the Lord, right, um, more um, truly and, and faithfully. So just a suggestion for you. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Jeff read our teaching text uh, this morning. 
chapter 6, verse 3 through 10. Uh, the title of the message this morning is, is Ungodliness with Contentment. There is no such thing. One of the most addressed themes in the New Testament are false teachers or and or false teaching. Warnings about false teachings are found in, in almost every New Testament book. So the Gospels, Paul, Peter's, John's epistles, they all address this problem for the church. And, and this was a problem for the church, especially for the church in Ephesus where Timothy was left by Paul. Paul actually warns about false teachers. Uh, he's done this several times in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So these false teachers in Ephesus, were, they were focused on trivial matters myths and endless genealogy. Myths, things that may or may not be true. And these genealogies that really mean nothing. So they made these unimportant things of the utmost importance. And the result of that is some were doubting. It was causing doubt within the church. Instead of increasing people's faith, it was decreasing it. And their focus was not on Christ. It's on extra-biblical, non-essential, unimportant things. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, Paul addresses this again. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So they're, they're deceitful, teachings of demons, they're insincere, they're liars uh, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So think about people falling away. It says that they departed from the faith. People fall away from the faith, and they fall one of two ways, morally speaking. They fall away to licentiousness, which means you just do whatever you want to do. You don't disregard God's will for your life. You just do whatever feels good, right? That's licentiousness. Or legalism, Right? And in here, some were being duped by the lures of asceticism, forbidding themselves what God said was good, marriage and, and food. Some were being duped by these lures of asceticism. They're forbidding themselves what God has said was wonderful and good. And they're making these self deprivations the, the center, the sum of their religion. And what happens is it takes the focus off of Jesus. Puts it on the cells, puts it on something else, but it's not on Christ. Well, Paul returns the end of the letter here and he addresses this issue of bogus teachers once again. And so from verse 3 we see our first point. False teaching contradicts Jesus' words and the teaching that promotes Godliness, And you think, well, why are we spending so much time on this false teaching stuff? You know, we're at a Bible we think is a pretty biblical church. Why are we dealing with it? Well, we're dealing with it because Paul deals with it. What we do is we just walk through books of the Bible and we just teach whatever's here because this is God's inerrant, infallible word for us. Look at verse 3. Notice the contrast here. 
If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up. And he goes on to explain these false teachers, give the characteristics of them. But it, the word sound here, sound doctrine, it comes from the same word we get our word hygiene from. Hygiene is something that's clean, something that's healthy. So these sound words promote health. But those that teach a different doctrine, the different is contrast. That's what makes someone sick. So you have a different doctrine, different, different than what Christ or the apostles taught, leads to sickness. Sound doctrine leads to health. The only thing wrong with someone who contradicts Jesus is that they're what? Wrong. Yeah. Anytime I ask that question... It's always the same answer. It's always wrong, right? In the fullest sense of the word, they're wrong. The old, old story. It aligns with Jesus' teaching and, and what the apostles promoted. And the result is holiness and godliness. And the focus of good, sound doctrine focuses on Jesus. Jesus himself in Luke chapter 24, verse 25 through 27 Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? This is after his resurrection. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The scriptures are about Jesus, pointing us to Jesus. Later in the same chapter, Jesus continues in verse 44 through 48. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's the Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. See, Jesus is the center of everything Christian. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. Jesus was teaching that he's the center of Christianity, the focus of the church. John chapter 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, Jesus says. A true teacher of the Bible focuses on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. False teachers, they want Jesus to be a side note. They don't want him to be the, the focus. His work to be central, they want him to be a side note oftentimes. Also, false teachers, maybe they take the same approach that the serpent did in the garden. Did, did God really say... Did God really mean that? Do you think God really meant for us to do this or do that? False teachers, they contradict Jesus and the apostles. They want to teach something new, something mystical, something man-centered, man-focused. Their attention is not on the biblical Jesus. And by contrast, Paul, the apostles... Good preachers, good Bible teachers, 
have nothing new to teach. What Jesus taught, they teach. They don't make it up as they go along. B.B. Warfield, he's a theologian. He was the last um, principal, if you will, of Princeton. Um, after he left, they began having presidents, but Princeton used to be a very orthodox, conservative Bible-teaching divinity school. After he left, it kind of went, it fell apart. They booted inerrancy and it, it went south. But one of the things that, that made him maybe have a sense of pride, you might say, is that he said at, at Princeton, we, we didn't teach anything new. That was his goal. Don't teach anything new. Let's teach what Jesus taught. Let's teach what the apostles taught. The old, old story, it was sufficient for Warfield and it should be sufficient for us today. Faithful teaching doesn't lead to speculation. It doesn't lead to divisive arguments. It leads to godliness. But false teaching leads to errant living. That's our second point, verse 4 and 5 and 9 and 10. Paul warns us that false teaching, this different doctrine will cause us both to think wrongly and live wrongly. Danny Aiken says it'll, it'll lose its right focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. It will leave the path of Christ's likeness, which is the natural outgrowth of godliness. Notice the characteristics of a, of a false teacher in verse 4. False teachers are conceited and ignorant. Con conceit or pride or arrogance. It rejects healthy teaching. It rejects healthy words, healthy doctrine that is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It rejects that. The teaching that's grounded in the Lord Himself and that's consistent with godly living. It's been said that conceit is the only disease that makes everybody sick but the one who has it. A false teacher just needs a, a little intelligence and some arrogance. It's a bad combination. A little bit intelligent, a lot of arrogance. Have a good false teacher. Isn't it interesting that false teachers, they almost always think they're smarter than everybody else. You, ever, you never meet a, a humble false teacher. False teachers are real smart and they, they'll tell you that. Another characteristic of a false teacher, they're, they're argumentative and quarrelsome. I mean, it's one thing to study God's Word to understand it, but it's another thing to study so we'll have some controversy or some ammo for quarreling. I think a characteristic of a false teacher is they love a good fight. They love to argue. And they oftentimes bring out the worst in folks. Ken Hughes, a pastor and commentator, he writes, I've spent endless hours with such people who cannot or will not grasp the plain meaning of a sentence or a paragraph in its context but rather fix on a word or a soundbite or give it a definition that defies lexicons, history, and logic. Nothing dissuades them. Nothing informs them. They understand nothing, and they enjoy it. False teaching doesn't agree with godly teaching or lead to godliness. Therefore, it only leads to pride. It leads to controversies and arguments. Some folks go from church to church, and everywhere they go, it's a 
train wreck in their wake. They love controversy. They love stirring the pot. And their continual bouts with controversies and quarrels, look at verse 4, leads to what? To envy. Envy means resentment of anyone else's successes. Somebody, maybe their giftings, maybe their successes. False teachers are, are prideful. Because of that, they only want to see their, their own efforts succeed. And they hate it when other people do. They hate it when other people's churches grow. How different that is from Christ who taught that he who wants to be great must be the servant of all. Somebody who wants to bless other people. These continuous bouts and, and quarrels and controversies leads also to dissension. Dissension is also known as contention or there's a spirit of competitiveness. Also slander. They mistreat rival teachers, somebody that opposes them or teaches something different. There's a, a competitive nature there and they slander them. And, and, and it says evil suspicions also. Greg Brown, he says, where true love trust does not hold a record of wrongs and covers over a multitude of sins, the arrogant instead constantly think the wrong of others. They think people are out to get them or that they always have wrong intentions. With false teachers, there's a lot of friction. And then you think about Galatians chapter 5, it, it gives us a, a list of, of deeds of the flesh. What does it look like for somebody to be fleshly, to be in the flesh? Now, the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, all those lists we've been talking about. They're here. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a list of, this is the don't list, right? The naughty list of things you shouldn't do. You shouldn't be like this. But the false teachers, they're, they're fleshly, aren't they? And verse 5, false teachers are preoccupied with personal profit. Right? Like, like the Ephesian silversmith. You remember him in Acts chapter 19? These false teachers, they're, they're viewed, uh, they viewed religion as a, um, a means to personal gain. Verse 9. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Wait, I mean, think about this. Somebody that's... that's, that's Preaching, teaching, they're leading because they want to make some money. Think about this. Those that pursue wealth in ministry, often they, they blur the lines when it comes to what is right and wrong. They kind of push the envelope. They like to fudge on moral issues, right? Cause them to turn a blind eye to ethical issues. And then when they're finally wealthy, when they finally make it and they got a lot of money, they find themselves totally immoral. Right? Actions they once thought unthinkable becomes kind of their natural tendency. This is kind of who they are. 
again, Ken Hughes, he says, finally, these false teachers oozed corruption as they became religious hucksters who actually thought that godliness is a means to financial gain. And then he writes, there's no business like the religion business. And those of us my age or a little older, we certain things come to our mind, right? The health and wealth people, the PTO club, the name it and claim it folks, right? There's folks that say, if you make me rich, then you'll be rich too. And it's worked for a lot of those rascals, hasn't it? Some of them may have a bunch, don't they? Look at verse 10. It's, it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Desire to have it, and before you know it, they're ruined as a person, morally, spiritually. Godliness is gain, and greed is loss. Verse 9, it talks about those being the false teachers. They, they peddle a false gospel for money, and they're never content. They're tempted to pursue more stuff, usually at the expense of others. And it talks about being ensnared. You're ensnared. Anytime you see the word ensnared, typically it's, it's tied to the devil. You, if you take a notes, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, that's a pastoral picture uh, using that word snared. It's, it's associated with the devil. They are deceived and their errant desires are going to result in, in destruction. Those that want more and more and more. They're not content. Contentment is hard to find when you're pursuing things. In verse 10, it says money's, you know, money is not the, the problem, is it? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not the money. I mean, we know, a lot of us know a lot of people who are very wealthy, but they love Jesus. They're not corrupt. And they're givers. Some of them, that's their spiritual gift. God allows them to make money so they can give it, right? But the love of money, it's that coveting, isn't it? I mean, they, they, they want what they don't have, and they also want what you have, right? Coveting, that's number 10 on the top 10, right? The Ten Commandments. Joseph Heller, he's the author of a book, Catch-22. He was once at a party in the Hamptons, right? A lot of money, everybody there, wealthy. And a guy came over to him and pointed at a young, he's a 25-year-old man standing in the, in the corner talking to some people. He worked for a big hedge fund. And his, his buddy said to him, hey, you see that guy over there? He said, yeah, he's 25, and he's made more money last year. He made more money last year than you'll ever make with all your books combined. And Joseph Heller said, well, maybe so, but I have one thing that man will never have probably. And his friend was skeptical, you know, oh, yeah, what? Kind of being a smart aleck. And Heller looked at him and said, enough. False teachers never have enough. Never have enough. And that leads us to our last point here in verse 6 through 8. Is sound doctrine promotes contentment. Contentment. Now, Paul is going to, what he's going to do is he's going to pick up these two words, godliness and gain, Okay. Look, let's look at verse 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Financial gain cannot bring contentment like godliness can. And that's what Paul is getting ready to tell us here. You'll never really have deep down contentment in your life with anything short of godliness. 
And I think here he's, the point he's made, you know, a good pastor, a good leader in the church will be content. So you got these false teachers, you got good teachers, right? Well, a characteristic of a, a good pastor, a faithful teacher, is that they can be content with what they have. A truly godly person, not interested in putting resources at the top of his list of things to get. His godliness, his contentment comes from inner resources, come from within, having that relationship with Christ. Godliness with contentment. Pastor Don Anderson, he, he suggests we look at the phrase other ways. I, I like this. This is really helpful for me. Let's think about this. He, he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. We'll think about it put this way. Ungodliness with discontentment. Could you say that? Ungodliness with discontentment. Yeah, yeah. We, we get that, right? Yeah, you... you that's a possibility because there are a lot of unhappy, ungodly people in the world, right? Yeah, a lot of people not godly and they're not content. What about this phrase, godliness with discontentment? Is that a possibility? Sure. I'm looking around at some godly folks in here and there's seasons in your life where you're not content. There's seasons in my life where I'm not content. Maybe we're We've been walking with the Lord for a long time, but maybe we're struggling, right? I, I tell you, for Jen and I, it was really easy. We lived overseas, and we would come home from living overseas in a third-world country, and we had very little material possessions. And we would come to America, and going to the mall or some kind of shopping place like that would make you, like, nauseous. And we see all the stuff that everybody has. They got a house full. Garages, two-car garages, doesn't have two cars in it. It's got stuff in it. And then we have a, a get a shed, the Mennonites build. Very well-built sheds. They're nice, and they're full. You're like, wow. How much is enough? We live in here seven years, and guess what? Our garage is full. Amen. That's not a brag. Kind of ashamed of it. Got so much stuff. Steadily buying more. Yeah, we got to be careful, don't we? Another way of looking at this, this phrase, this godliness with contentment. What about ungodliness with contentment? Can we say that? Is that a possibility? So we've gone ungodliness with discontentment. Yeah, that's a true statement. Very possible. Godliness with discontentment. Yeah, that's possible as well. But ungodliness with contentment. See, there, that's not a possibility. There's no such thing. Ungodly people are not going to be content. There's an empty space, right? That only a void, that only a vacuum, that only God can fill. What does it mean to be content? Literally, the word means self-sufficiency, and that kind of has a bad connotation, you know? Kind of that pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of mentality. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches, right? William Barclay, he, he wrote, Contentment is a frame of mind which was completely independent of all outward and external things and which carried the secret of happiness within itself. 
Contentment never comes from the possession of external things. So it's not really, you know, it's not self-sufficient, but you could say Christ-sufficiency, right? It is in Christ that we possess godliness and contentment. And Paul tells us this. He's a, he's a great example for us. Chapter 4, verse 10 through 13 of the letter to the Philippians. The cough is kind of like a sneeze, you know, or a yawn. Not a sneeze, a yawn. You yawn, and I want to yawn, and if you cough, I don't think I got a cough, and then all of a sudden I got a cough. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Paul, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He had received this gift from the Philippian church, a blessing, a care package. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He can do all things, but he can be content because Christ strengthens him. Christ is his sufficiency, his filler of meeting his need and, you know, And Paul's not on a sabbatical. You know, he's not on the beach at Cyprus, you know, on a sabbatical writing this letter. He's from prison in Rome. He says in chapter 1 of the same letter, verse 29 through 30, he talks about his suffering. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in, listen, in the same conflict you saw I had and now hear that I still have. He's in prison. He's not in a place of ease where everything's going well for him. He says, hey, I'm in jail, but you know what? Life is so good because God is good. And I know him. And I can be content with that. I think discontentment leads to, to, to us living a above our means. That's a big deal for us in America. And I do this when I, I counsel people when they're going to get married. And I say, you know, we need to live below our means. You got two income families? Like, live on one income. Live on one income. Just get in habit. Money's all about habit. It's all about habit. It's all it is. It's about habit. Live on one income, put the other income towards your debt, your house note, your car notes, put in the bank, whatever. Live on one income. And some of you are like, well, dude, I make $17,000 a year. Well, maybe that's not going to be feasible for you. But for most people, and I'm looking around this room, most of you, you could probably do that. We want a bigger house. We want a bigger salary, newer toys, better vacations, newer cars, trendier clothes until we live in above our means instead of below our means. Someone has said, if your outgo exceeds your income, then your upkeep will be your downfall. Let me say that again. Somebody want to write this down. If your outgo exceeds your income, then your upkeep will be your downfall. See, these false teachers, 
they're not content. They want more and more. And so they covet and they look for more ways to make money so they can have more. But Paul, what Paul is trying to teach is that a good leader in the church will be content with what he has and live below his means. I think living below your means, that may struck a nerve with you and somebody like, I don't really understand what you're talking about. You, you live where if you didn't go to work this week, you'd be all right. Or, or better yet, living below your means means that you, you live in such a way that when somebody has a need, you have something a little set back to help meet that need in a person's life. I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty, pretty good. Maybe that's what God would have us to do. It's hard to do in America. It costs a lot to live, doesn't it? It does. We're not to eat. We don't go out to eat very often. We go out to eat when our kids are away. Have four kids, two or three of them are gone. Oh, yeah. This is, this is time to do it. If we're going to go out to eat, let's do it tonight. You know. So we went and got three hamburgers, two waters, 50 what? What 50 what? 54 dollars. You're like, yeah, 54 dollars, chump change. 54 dollars, a lot of money. Isn't it great? A lot of money. Three hamburgers in it. And one sweet tea. Jenny got the tea. I told her to get water. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it costs a lot to live. But maybe think about that. Living below your means, maybe it's, you know, we're not, Legalistic. Or that's, I'm just saying, think about that. I think discontentment leads to people living above their means and not below their means. Verse 7, we, we brought nothing into the world so we can take nothing out of it. And Paul's just an argument here, right? Don't be like the false teachers who live above their means. They want money. It's all about money. and Get, 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 get. Job chapter 1 verse 21 he says naked I came into it's got to be naked it can't be naked right naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord what's his point can't take it can't take it with us Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 15 the wisest man to ever live other than Christ, of course. Solomon, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. John D. Rockefeller died. Y'all know who John D. Rockefeller is? Yes, no? No? Yes? I'm looking at schools. I'm trying to see which school is the best. John D. Rockefeller, anybody heard of him? Jacob, Aiden, everybody putting their head down. They're all like looking at me now, and I look at them, and they're all like ducking now. John D. Rockefeller, anybody? Any takers? Huh? Anybody? CJ, John D. Rockefeller, ever heard of him? Gosh. All right. Sir? Boy, was he a businessman. He was a tycoon, right? Yeah. One of the Wealthiest men on the planet at the time. If you don't know, talk to Eddie, talk to, talk to Jerry. Jerry tell you all about Johnny Rockefeller. 
when he died, his, he had an, an assistant was asked, hey, how much did he leave behind? You've heard this, right? And his assistant looked at him. He left it all behind. See, they won't know how much he left it all. You can't take it with you, can you? I've also heard it said, life to a lot of people is nothing on both ends and a mess in the middle. So we need to have the right attitude toward our stuff. Okay? What does it mean to be content? If we have food, in verse 8, and clothing with these, we'll be content. Necessities are not. Everything else is bonus. I mean, we, got, we got some food in the, in the fridge, canned goods in the cupboard. Got enough money to. I was gonna say Baskin Robbins. That's kind of outdated, isn't it? We don't do ice cream very much outside the home. I don't know where you go now for Sonic. Sonic, that's it. We get to, we got enough to go to Sonic every now and again. That's a, that's a bonus. That's a bonus. Get a blizzard. Is that a, is that Sonic? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> we don't need to go out to eat anyway. So what, what do we do application-wise for, for this text? And, and like I said, we're, we're talking about a false teacher. What, we're talking about a false teacher. How does this really apply to me? Well, I think there's a test, you know, to identify a false teacher because there's a lot of false teachers in the world. I mean, why, why does Paul address this? Why does Peter address this? Why does Jesus address it? There's so many times it's addressed in the New Testament. It's not just a, a, a problem we have today. No, they had it then in the early church. But we have it today, too. John Stott in the, Guard the Tr- in the book Guard the Truth, he writes, there are two practical tests for, for us to apply to all teaching. The first, the test of faith. Does it come from God? In other words, is it in agreement with the scriptures, with Jesus and the apostles? <coughs> the second is the test of love. Does it promote unity in the body of Christ or is it irresponsibly divisive? So test of faith, test of love. Faith means that we receive it from God. Love means that it builds up the church. The doctrine of these false teachers didn't either. It promoted speculation, controversies, division, and Christ is omitted or he's a side note. They're teaching. So we test the teaching. When you listen to something, listen to podcasts, we have so much information at our fingertips, right? I mean, we, we, so many of us listen to sermons and books on audio and all these things, and it's a lot, so much good stuff. We have so many resources. Well, you test them. Is that biblical? Is it promoting unity in the body? Is it in agreement with what Jesus and the apostles taught? So the second thing we do is if we do see that someone's not biblical, the teaching's not right, it's false, then we avoid it. When errant doctrine leads to errant living, you'll recognize false teachers not just by what they say, but how they live. False teachers, they think they know a lot, but they're ignorant of the truth. They like to quarrel about things that aren't important. The biblical Jesus is not at the center of their teaching. They stir the pot with their ideas that are not important. They are wannabes. They mean they want to be rich. And they'll bend. And When it comes to truth, moral things, they fudge a bit only to become a person they once 
said they would never want to be. Yeah, so we test and we avoid them. And then I think thirdly with us, you're like, well, I'm not a pastor, teacher, preacher. What's this have to do with it? Well, you may not be a, a, a teacher. You may not be a false teacher. And most of us, that would not be the case. But do you have any of their tendencies or any of their characteristics? Because they're talking about false teachers here in context. But we can apply it to our lives. Hey, am, am I living below my means? Or am I so maxed out that if I get, you know, this whole idea of getting sick, you know, it was COVID was the thing, and you have COVID, you have to stay home. Right? But I ain't staying home. I can't, I'm sorry I'm going to get some folks sick, but I got to go to work. If I don't go to, if I don't go to work, it's going to be bad news at home. Probably need to adjust your toys, your vacations, your something. When you live below our means. So we can take care of our bills and then we can help somebody that needs it. Or maybe you're a pot stirrer. You like to focus on little bitty things that make no difference. Making something minor a major. Yeah, so we ask ourselves, are we, are any of these characteristics true of us? And then lastly, by way of application, godliness with contentment is great gain. But you can't be content without being godly. And hey, you can't be godly without knowing God. Amen. And maybe there's some here who you don't know the Lord. You're not content. Your, your life is... Maybe your discontentment is kind of part of who you are. You're never satisfied. Could it be that you've, you're separated from the Lord? The Father, the creator of the universe. You don't know Him. If you've never trusted the work Christ did on the cross, Jesus, He lived and He lived a perfect life and He died and He was buried and He rose from the dead so that sinners could be reconciled to God. If you haven't trusted the work Christ has done, then you're still separated from the Father and you can't be content. You're still trying to figure out what life's all about. You're still trying to have a purpose in life. And so you're doing this and that and running after this, running after that. Well, if I get married, if I have a kid, if I get a good job, if I drive this car, if I have this house, if I have this and I do that, it's all going to be better. And you've done all those things and it's just not better. You're still not content. And maybe financially you're just maxed out because you're living above your means because you're trying to chase something that you're never going to catch. And I'm not saying if you trust Christ and become a Christian and follow Jesus that all your financial troubles and all your troubles in life are going to go away. That's not the case. That's not what I'm peddling. Oftentimes you trust Christ, it gets, you have more difficult problems. Because it's hard being a follower of Jesus. But you know what? If you know Jesus, there can be this satisfaction, this I got enough, contentment. I don't have to keep running and chasing. And I'm right with Jesus. 
And yeah, my life is terrible right now. My, my health, my work situation, my money situation, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? When all this is gone or all this trouble, this blows over, you know what? I'm going to have Jesus. And that's really delightful and wonderful and satisfying. So maybe if you're here and you've never repented, I'm going to encourage you to repent. You know, what does that look like exactly? Well, you have to recognize that you're a sinner and that you're separated from the Lord. You know, you've been living in rebellion against the Lord. And that don't mean you're a terrible person. It means you're, a lot of you, most of you, most of you in here are better people than me. I'm not saying you're a bad person. You're an awesome person, probably. But in, in your life, you've been living, right, in rebellion against the Lord, doing what you want to do, not what the Lord wants you to do. That's all of us, right? All of us, that's us. That was me before Jesus. All these Christians here, all the people have these testimonies. That's them too. But you've you, you got to come to a point and you're saying, yeah, I'm rebellious against you, God, and I deserve your, your worst, your wrath, your judgment. I deserve hell. But maybe the Lord's doing the work and you're hearing the gospel and you're recognizing, yeah, I don't know God. I don't have a relationship with Him. That's why I'm not content. And maybe today you're like, hey, you know what? I'm ready to stop being the rebellious person that I've been and I'm ready to yield to God. So maybe you should pray something like this. God, I'm a sinner and I'm, I'm needy. I need you to save me. I'm tired of the discontentment. I'm trying chasing after. I'm tired of chasing after everything and these things aren't satisfied. I recognize this because I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you. But I realize, I trust, I know that Jesus lived a perfect life and he died on the cross and he rose on the third day so that I could have a relationship with you. And God, I, I want that. Would you forgive me and, and save me? I'm trusting that Jesus did die for me and he did rise on the third day and I want to follow you all my days. Maybe you could tell the Lord something like that. Maybe by way of application, that's what you need to do. And maybe we're, some of you are, you're part of the church. You've been saved, but there's just some discontentment there because you're kind of got your focus off and you've been chasing after stuff. And like I said, all those things, if I, if I just do this, if I just do this, all these little things, you've done all that and you're still like, eh. maybe you need to repent of chasing after those things and, 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 and pursue that intimacy with the Lord through Jesus. And if that's you, you want to talk about that, maybe you want to confess your sin, I'd love to talk to you. Not, I'm not a priest. I'm not a priest. But there is something about confessing your sin to one another, isn't it, Chris? We can confess our sin, Steve. We can confess our sin. It just Sometimes it's, there's healing in that. But if you'd like to share that with me, I'd love to rejoice with you and pray with you and encourage you. And if you're here and you've said, I've never trusted Christ, I'm not content because I'm lost. But today I've surrendered my life to Christ and I've cried out to God and through Jesus today I found forgiveness and, or maybe you're just confused about that and not really sure what that entails you want to talk more about that I'd love to talk to you about that as well and there's a lot of people here that would love to talk to you about that deal with that today let's, let's stand I'm going to pray worship team come on up we're going to sing as our benediction and um we're going to sing, and this, that'll be our benediction, but I'm going to pray for us. Man, we've got...
to, if you're, some of you are visiting, you've been visiting our church and you've been coming for a little bit, I'll encourage you tonight, if you're, if you're able, you're like, I, I've got time, you ought to come and eat with us. Hey, nobody signed up for slaw. Can somebody please make some slaw? Because who wants to eat a hot dog without slaw? I'm, Morgan still has some sanctifying work that needs to happen in his life. Now, he doesn't like slaw, but I love slaw. And I don't have enough Pepsi, I don't think, in my, in my truck for chili. You got my back. But some people don't like the chili because it, it's late at night, you know. And, but the slaw, if somebody would be so kind to bring some slaw for the dogs, that'd be awesome. We're going to have a good time. Um, we'll have a good time tonight. Just come. You got to eat. You just eat with us. Um, love for you to come and be a part of that. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing and be dismissed. Father, we acknowledge your goodness, and we're thankful for your word. And Father, we know that false teachers, that's a, 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 an issue with the church. And there's a lot of people peddling a lot of things that, that aren't true, that aren't biblical. And God, we want to be on our, on our toes, and we want to um, watch out for those things, even within our church. Father, even within our family members and friends that are, that are, uh, listening to, to different people and sometimes people listen to people that they're peddling garbage I pray you would help us to, to be mindful and be helpful and Father uh, for those that are here that are part of the church that are not content maybe that they've got some troubles and they're focused on their own troubles and not on you and I just pray that you would help them they would repent of their worry and pursuit of things that don't matter they would draw back close to you in repentance and faith and father for those that are here that are not believers father may they even even maybe today or even tonight when they're home and they 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 lie down in the the quietness of their bedroom and they're thinking about the gospel and they're thinking about this message and maybe they're not content I pray that you allow that gospel to just a sweet gospel to ring loud in their ears that they would desire to know you and that you would save them today Amen. Father thank you for your word and thank for our church and Father I just pray that we'd have a sweet time tonight and the kids would come and we'd bring friends and Bring our neighbor's kids and Lord, just have a sweet time of fellowship tonight. We would laugh a lot and cut up a lot and we'd get to know each other a little better. And the Father, we'd leave rejoicing just because we've been together. Father, I know there's visitors, a lot of people that have visited the church and we're thankful for that. We just ask you to let them know where they need to be. So I'm trying to figure it out. Should I be at this church or that church? I just pray that you just direct them in that regard. Thank you for all that you do for your, your loving kindness. Thank you that you save us, save sinners like me and so many others in this room. Encourage us, empower us, convict us, whatever you need to do as we leave today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing. Amen.